but i just want to be very careful based on the market cycle right now i do not mm. want my debt service coverage to be impacted because i want to make sure that i have enough buffer in case i need it right hi you're listening to ready to scale the second season of that really happened this season is focused on aps of real estate asset process and strategy each guest on the show will reveal the assets they're investing and why they chose to do so from multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate, from co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Welcome to Ready to Scale. This is the second season of Unbelievable Real Estate Stories. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, you know it, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors who partner with me on my deals. So Ready to Scale is our new second season here, and we focus on the business side of real estate. We're going to talk about APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. So when you listen, you can really implement those lessons and scale your real estate business a lot faster. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute to rate us, and don't forget to like and follow along with me on social media as well. So our guest today is Jay. James Kandasami. James is an award-winning multifamily apartment real estate investor, podcast host, a speaker, and best-selling author whose book hit number one on Amazon in the U.S. and in Canada. So as the CEO of Achieve Investment Group, LLC, James has over five years of experience in real estate with more than three years in multifamily acquisitions and asset management. So during this time, James has acquired over 25 million of multifamily investments, having an average portfolio IRR of more than 20%. Welcome to the show, James. Hey, Ali. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. So help myself and the listeners help you understand where you are right now, you know, on the map. I'm from Austin, Texas. Today, I'm in Dallas for a conference, but I'm from Austin, Texas. All right. Very cool. I mean, Austin is a booming market, I got to say. It is crazy out there. I think people are not aware on what's happening in Austin. It's it's just completely booming, right? Uh, the skyline of Austin downtown. I mean, I came to Austin like around 2010 and I saw one layer of building and now there's three times building in, in downtown. So yeah. you can see it very clearly. Yeah, that that's crazy. And so you've been doing multifamily for about five years now and you own real estate worth of 25 million, which is about 1,300 units? Yeah, it's actually 100 million. I need to fix my bio there. So oh, it's more than 100 million. million. Yes, yeah, it's more than uh, 100 million, 1,300 units across eight large apartment complexes. Yeah, I thought this number was a bit on the lower side, but that's what I, <laughs> the, that's the buyer that I had. And so let's let's talk about the first part of our you know interview about the asset that you're investing. So you're a multifamily investor and you focus on Central Texas. So what what is the number one advantage of investing in multifamily the way that you see it? 
depends on who are you talking to, right? So me as a sponsor, I mean, I can see the multifamily. There's a big black swan effect that has happened in the past four to five years, right? So what I mean by black swan effect is there's a complete shift in renters' demand, right? There's a lot of millennials prefer just renting, right? And there's a lot of demand for housing in general, right? And the house price have gone up significantly. The rent to income ratio, you know, is doesn't make sense to buy houses at the same time a lot of people want to be renters right if you look at the technology side a lot of things are going to the cloud right there's dropbox you know there's apple icloud everything is going to the cloud right so which means a lot of jobs are becoming very very mobile right anybody can work from anywhere mm-hmm. and millennials nowadays do not want to buy one house and stay in one place and work for one company for 20 30 years right that's our the older generation right so Renting in apartments give them the flexibility of moving around. They're able to be very flexible to move around, able to change jobs, and they don't want to maintain the yard and the swimming pool as well, I guess, right? So the black swan effect of that change itself created this renter's demand. And I think after the past crash in 2008, a lot of people think that, you know, buying a house is a, a big liability because a lot of people lost their house as well. So they rather just rent and be flexible with where, what they're doing with their life. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And it's amazing how millennials today are changing the economy, not only in real estate, you see all the shared economy, where we're going, it's I can really see how things shift. And I think that's, that's exactly what is changing. That's why multifamily is, is such a strong asset class. Now, uh, maybe not a so popular question. What do you think is the number one risk in buying multifamily properties today? I think the number one reason is because it has become too popular now. There's a lot of information out there on multifamily and there's a lot of groups teaching multifamily and there's a lot of newbies entering into the multifamily market because there's a lot of capital chasing after multifamily, right? And and there's a lot of passive investors who are also jumping into the multifamily because of FOMO, right? So this whole thing is creating a bubble of FOMO, which is fear of missing out, right? Multifamily is a solid asset, but because of the FOMO, people are overbidding and overpaying and they don't underwrite properly. And it's, it's a big bubble here. I see that it's not a bubble on the multifamily industry. I think the industry itself is very solid. But because of there's so much of information out there and so many new people are buying it without really underwriting it well. And because of this FOMO concept, I see that biggest risk is there could be some people who have misinterpreted their underwriting and they have overpaid. And now for the past nine years, people have been helped with the economy booming, with the renter's demand and this black swan effect that I talked about in multifamily. But that's not going to be there forever, right? So people will be very, very careful that once the win has died down, how are you going to operate the property, right? Because now the strategy changes, right? And a lot of people who have entered into this market for the past nine years have never seen a downtime on multifamily, right? So the way you manage multifamily during downtime is completely different from the way you manage during the boom time. Boom time, you really don't have to manage, right? So a lot of property management company who are mediocre or a lot of Operators who are mediocre can do very well because the market has carried them up, even though they made a lot of mistakes. But during downtime, all that mistakes are going to be revealed, right? So now the property management company is going to be more selective. They may be charging more because now there's a lot more work for them. So that's what I see as the biggest reason. I think the industry itself is solid. There's a lot of fundamentals, which is very strong behind it. But I think because of this fear of missing out that has happened maybe past five years, 
And people are not seeing it now because everything is still booming, right? Everybody's a champ in a bull market, right? But yeah. I think that will be revealed when the market turns. Yeah, and I think you make a very interesting point. Actually, I remember six months ago, I was sitting here in LA with another sponsor, and he told me that he sold his property, and uh, he started about the same time that you did, about five years ago, and he made really nice returns for his investors. He is a syndicator as well. And I complimented him on his, you know, congratulated him on his achievement, because it is an achievement. And he basically, he, he looks at me and he says... I'm not that smart. And I said, what do you mean? You you made, I don't remember how much it was, 25 or, or 27% IRR. And he said, it's not me. It's the market. doesn't matter what I would have done. I also see, on the other hand, sponsors that are not delivering. So, you know, I see both, but I definitely think that the market is very forgiven right now, which, yeah, I think it's very important to understand. Yes. But so even I hear some sponsors who are not performing. And if you are not performing in this market, you are really, really bad operators, right? So, and what has happened in 2015 is, you know, because I started in 2015, I know there was a lot of IO loans, right? Interest-only loans, right? Just starting up. I think it was it was always there, but there was a lot of limitations on it, right? But now the banks have given more, a lot more IO loans, right? That's become freebie now. So because of IO loan, and a lot of people don't really see what happens after IO, right? So, that has continued the boom on the multifamily investments. And that could be shielding a lot of people's vision, right? That, hey, you know, <laughs> you're doing well because of the IO. Now the IO is going to expire in a couple of years and some of them are already expiring, right? So now you could be in danger because now if you're not performing and your IO expired, you can go into default, right? So mm-hmm. you have to be very careful with your performance on the multifamily. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you were talking about interest-only loans, which is mainly if you take a loan, let's say, for seven years, the first two, three, you know, years are interest-only payments, and that lowers your debt service uh, significantly. But I think it's a good segue to, to shift our conversation and talk about strategy. When you were talking about a loan, you've done a lot of refinancing in the past. So you refinance from, from short-term bridge or, or bank loans to agency or recourse agency debt. Can you explain to us why, you know, the whole concept behind refinancing and why it helps to boost the income and the returns for investors? Absolutely, absolutely. So refinancing so is primarily when I want to do deep value add deals. Right? Deep value add means deals is a deal has a lot of upside in it. It's just nobody has put in the work in it. Either they did not fix the expenses, they didn't have a good property management company, or they did not put in the capex that's needed to rehab the units and push up the rent. So whenever I find deep value add, I know there's tons of equity in it and market is doing very well. And I always say that, okay, let's me, let me go and do a short-term loan. So short-term loan is not really a bridge loan. I mean, it could be interpreted as bridge loan, but I usually take the bank loan, a small commercial bank loan. And, and I know because of the upside is so much, I rather get the upside in the one to two years that I own it and then let it cash flow using a long-term loan. So usually it's called a burst strategy, right? Buy, rehab, refinance, and rent and repeat, right? So I used to do it in single family and I continue doing it in multifamily. And the powerful thing about multifamily or any commercial real estate is when you do this false appreciation by going in and putting in your sweat equity on your skills, you're able to push up the NOI so much, which means your value has gone up so much. And then 
what you want to do. I mean, you want to leave the equity inside there. So the, the way to realize that equity, we go and refinance it, right? So our return on equity becomes high, right? So yeah, I, I mean, cash flow is one thing on any deals, but if you're too much equity stuck in it, you're actually not, you're getting very low return on equity. And when you want to do capital wealth generation, if you want to really increase your wealth quickly, you can refi multiple times because now you are realizing each of the equity in each of these deal, right? But I only do refinance on the deep value at deals, right? And I recently, I don't do that anymore. For past one year, I've been buying deals, which is still a value at deal, still a really good value at deal, but I'm putting longer, longer term loan on it. I probably can refinance on it, but I'm not telling my investors that I'm going to refinance on it. So why did you shift your strategy then? I think I shifted because of the market, right? So if you look at last crash, right, in 2008, a lot of people who have lost their deals, I mean, it's not me. I mean, I was not doing the deal, but when I talked to a lot of lenders and a lot of people who are experienced in this, who have gone through multiple market cycle, and what happened is in 2008, the lending stops, right? The long-term lending stops, like Fannie and Freddie stops, right? Because they have other issues to worry about. And all the people on the bridge loan and construction loan got nowhere else to go and refi. Right. So what happened? So all these lenders who have given bridge loans, so they want to get out or they can do They can. The other thing they can do is they can take back the asset at much, much lower, big discount, right? Because they got it at 30 or 25%. So a lot of these lenders took the assets right, rather than giving them an extension, right? So because they're going to make more money on that. And all these sponsors who did this bridge loan, they can't refinance. So knowing that, and I know market is at peak, you know, we want to make sure that I don't get into that stage. So what I've been doing is I'm still buying value at deal, really good value at deal. But from day one itself, I'm putting in long-term loan, which is Fannie or Freddie Mac loan, 10 to 12 years. So it's just me doing some risk mitigation based on the market condition nowadays. I mean, I think our investors still love it. They get like 8 to 9% cash flow. It's an awesome stable cash flowing I mean, risk reward wise is much better strategy compared to you know buying a distressed asset and being stuck in that bridge loan mm-hmm. when, the, when the lending stops yeah so i think you're absolutely right you have to be more conservative these days basically you're still looking into refinancing but you push the the time in the investment cycle where when you actually do it so you're not taking a short-term loan and then try to refinance it after you know at the beginning but you're you're placing long-term debt and then if it makes sense, if there's a lot of equity because the value of the property increases, then you're going to refinance moving forward. It could be probably, what, a year, two years after you purchased the property? No, I think on the long-term loan, you probably need like three or four years. You can do a supplemental loan on an agency debt. It's also considered refinance, but within the same lender, right? So there is a way to refinance without disturbing the current loan itself. But I just want to be very careful based on the market cycle right now. I do not Mm. want my debt service coverage to be impacted because I want to make sure that I have enough buffer in case I need it, right? So if you buy a property at what point right now, after you shifted your strategy, after how many years or months are you looking to refinance? It depends on the economy, right? So if the economy is going very well, it's still booming and our interest rates are you know, doing very well and I have enough equity in my deal and I know my DSCR is not impacted, right? So whenever a bank give us a loan, right, usually they want DSCR is 1.25, which means DSCR means debt service coverage ratio, right? So 1.25 means it's 25% above the NOI. So whatever the property is making money, they want 25% more to make sure that they have enough buffer to pay their loan, right? So I like to push my DSCR about 1.8 or 2, 
so that I'm being comfortable, you know, riding any uh, downturn that's coming, right? So if I go maybe two, maybe three DSCR, then I probably will refinance, right? We have to be very careful what they're doing because once you refi, you have to make sure now your loan payment's high, right? I mean, the investors are happy, right? Because now they got back money. But as a sponsor, you have to be very, very careful on how much you want to refinance. Because if you refinance too much, then later on your cash flow is going to reduce. It's going to be too much of a thin margin in terms of debt service coverage ratio, right? So you have to be very careful on how much you want to refinance, even though it's very, very good for my investors. My first three deals, I almost refinance 100% to them within 12 months, right? So we have, we have a free building there, which is giving us cash flow, right? But I, I could have done more, more than 100%, but I did not do it because I know there's a balance on how much you want to refinance, how much uh, leverage you want to take so that your cash flow post-refinance is not impacted. Mm-hmm. Because sponsor is the one who's going to be, our head is going to break, right? <laughs> if it's get become too thin, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I really like that thoughtful you know, strategy, trying to understand if this is the right property to refinance, it's the right time, and then how much we want to refinance. So I think it's very important. Let's talk a little bit about the process, the refinancing process. So how much does it cost you to refinance? I'm assuming that most long-term debt, you're basically breaching the contract, quote unquote, with the lender because you're you're returning, you're prepaying the loan earlier. There's probably costs that are involved with that. Can you talk a little bit about how much it actually costs you to refinance? I think it doesn't really cost a lot in terms of refinance. It's similar to acquisition, maybe slightly less than that. But I think the bigger question is, will the bank let you refinance, right? Because now you just bought the deal like 12 months ago, right? Or 13 months ago. Why they want to take bigger risk right now? There's a new bank coming in. And when you refinance, you're basically reducing your cost basis, right? So let's say you have $1 million invested in this deal. Now you're refinancing 800000 our cost base is reduced by you know, 80%, right? So now the incoming bank, which is going to do the new loan, they're going to be very worried about, oh, this guy is only have 20%. Will he take care of the property or not? Is this refinance? Will, why should we give this guy cash back? Because it could be the market who have done it, right? So they want to split whether, is this a true value add or is this a true market appreciation? The banks are not going to give you refinance back if it's a market appreciation. Right. So you have to be very careful about not everything. I mean, the people see now I bought at 40 a door and it went and now I, uh, the guy in front of my apartment is selling at 70 a door. Oh, okay. I did all the work. I want to refinance. Right. So the bank is going to be very careful. They're going to say you need at least 18 to 24 months to refinance on a market appreciation, but they're willing to do shorter term if you went and put your own effort and force appreciate. And how do you force appreciate? Well, we force appreciate when we force the income to go up by, you know, by rehabbing the units, right? So, and we force appreciate by fixing the expenses, right? So if you can show a clear delineation of your effort putting in, like, it's not easy for me to refi in 12 months. I mean, I know a lot of people knows that we did a lot of refis in 12 months and everybody's happy. Our IRS jump go through the sky, right? But I have to do a lot of slides. I have to do a lot of presentation to show them this is my own work that I force appreciate. This is not the market came and increased the 
So only if you can show all that numbers and all that data to them, then they will allow you to refinance within like 12 to 15 months. Otherwise, if the market is appreciated, they probably will wait for you maybe like 24 months. They said, well, you didn't do anything. The market went up. Why should I give you back your money, right? Kind of thing. So, so there's two types of refinance. Right? And, and the way to get the refinance is pretty hard, to, especially if you want to get it very quickly. And the reason is because they want to separate between the guys who are really doing the work versus the market who's doing the work. I'm not sure whether I answered your question, but yeah. you can answer me question. <laughs> I no, I mean, I think it answered a different question, but it was still very informative. My question was, what are the costs for refinancing? I think the cost is very straightforward. You know, the title costs primarily, the appraisal costs, mm-hmm. the inspection costs, because now the new lender is coming and taking the new risk, right, on the loan. So it's similar to acquisition, but you don't have the lender fee, right? Because now, well, you may have a land, lender fee, right? Because now there's a new lender coming in, but it's going to be same appraisal, maybe like 1% or 1.2% of the overall loan amount, I would say. Mm-hmm. And how long does it take you to complete the refinancing process? It's probably two months from the start. Okay. It's similar to acquisition. Yeah. It's not really uh, too much yeah. different from acquisition. Yeah. So it's pretty similar to placing you know, new debt on a newly acquired apartment building. Got it. Interesting. And in the process of refinancing, have you found any method or tool that really helps you scale and, and move quicker or more effectively, efficiently through the refinancing process? Not on the process itself, just making sure that you have all your capital items that you did for the property, you know, documented, because now these are the things that the bank is going to come and ask, what did you do, right? Why should I take this new loan and pay you a lot of your cash back, right? So you have to make sure your all your capital line item that you did for the property is documented. You can do some slides to show before, after, and can show the previous T12 and now what you're doing. And, you know, you have to basically write a story on why you are qualified for refinance. Yeah, I find that in real estate, everything is about a story. When you present a, you know, a deal to a lender, it doesn't matter if it's for refinancing or first loan, you need to tell a solid story. This is the property. This is what we're going to do with it. This is why it's a good, you know, a good deal. Same with investors. It's all about how you present it. It's all about, it's basically a story and you're always selling. You're selling yourself, you're selling the property, you're selling basically everything. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's not like, because we are doing multi-million dollar deals, right? So the mm-hmm. the big loans, the big banks do want to know who's behind that and what did you do, right? Because they are the biggest partner in that deal. Yeah, exactly. They actually take the biggest risk. They take the biggest risk, yes. They're the the biggest uh, check writer in, in this deal. Well, James, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. If any of our listeners would want to reach out and chat with you, how can they do that? Just through my website. My website is Achieve Investment Group. Achieve is like achieving a goal, A-C-H-I-E-V-E, Achieve Investment Group. My email is james at achieveinvestmentgroup.com. I strongly encourage people to read my book it's in Amazon. It's called Passive Investing in Commercial Real Estate. That's the only book out there which talks from passive investor perspective, right? A lot of books out there talks about how do you buy deals, how do you select markets and all that. I mean, passive investors really don't care, right? But they really, passive investors do care on how do they select sponsors, right? What kind of deal do they want to invest? What kind of capital source that they can use to invest in, in this deal? So, so I wrote that book specifically for passive investors, and I'm in Facebook, LinkedIn, and I also have my own podcast, which is called Achieve Wealth Podcast. So make sure you all read about it. It's 
listen to it. And I think that's that's all the things that you can reach me. And join me in my Facebook group. It's called a Multifamily Investors Group. We have like 2,200 people right now. We just launched it like five months ago. And yeah, we do a lot of quality discussion inside that Facebook group. All right. So you're not a man that is hard to find. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. This would be easy to find everywhere. I'm a lot of places. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much again, James. That was absolutely a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks, Ellie, for having me. And I hope I add value to your listeners and yourself. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.